If you need help getting Social Security Disability Benefits, then this podcast is for you. Give me 15 minutes and I'll pull back the curtain on disability and reveal the secrets to winning I've learned over the past 25 plus years. Hi, I'm Jonathan Ginsberg and I'm a practicing Social Security Disability Lawyer. I want to help deserving claimants just like you win the benefits you deserve and not one penny less. Now, if you already know you need help today, go to ssdanswers.com for a free and confidential evaluation of your case. It takes just two minutes. That's ssdanswers.com, and I'd love to hear from you. Now, let's start the show. Hi, and welcome back to the Social Security Disability Podcast. Today, I'd like to talk to you about why a 50-year-old or 50-plus-year-old disability claimant has an advantage at Social Security even when the grid rules do not apply. Now, in the last episode, I talked about the grid rules, which is, to refresh your memory, the grid rules are a theory of disability that applies if you're over age 50 with a physical impairment. Now, the grid rules also look at your education and acquired work skills, and generally speaking, the less educated you are and the fewer skills you have, the more likely a grid rule will apply. And yes, this means that a 50-plus-year-old construction worker with an eighth-grade education, a bad back, can use the grid rules, but a 50-year-old or 55-year-old high school teacher with severe depression, chronic migraine headaches, cannot use the grid rules. And some people find this unfair. They've worked hard in school to get an education. They've developed skills at work, and now Social Security says, sorry, you're too educated and too skilled to qualify under the grid rules, and we're going to turn you down on that basis. You've got to prove you either meet a listing or that you have a, a seriously reduced functional capacity for work. Uh, and some people say to me, why am I getting punished for that? And my feeling is Social Security is not really punishing people who are more educated, more skilled, but instead they're recognizing that in the real world, a less educated person with a bad back, for example, is going to have a real heck of a time finding entry-level work that requires some form of physical exertion. So remember, even if you don't apply, if you don't qualify under the grid rules, you can still be approved under a listing theory or under a reduced capacity for work theory. And most hearings, of course, are based on functional capacity evaluations. So remember, the grid rules are unique in that you can be found disabled even if you have some capacity for work. If the grid rules do not apply, you can still be found disabled. You simply have to show that you have no capacity for any kind of work. That's really the big difference. But I still think that even if the grid rules do not apply, you have an advantage when you're age 50 or over when you apply for disability, and here's why. First, um, if you meet every part of the grid rule, but you're 49 instead of 50, you can ask the judge to use what I call the grid framework to find you disabled. And remember, the grid rules exist because Social Security recognizes that the practical problems of finding a job, uh, if you're 50, 50 plus years old, and you have physical issues that limit uh, your capacity to, to work, um, that those practical problems really exist. So again, even if you had some capacity for work, Social Security realizes within the grid rules that even if you have some capacity, there probably are not any jobs out there. But if you think about it, if you're 49 years old 
or 49 and a half, you're likely going to have the same problems as a 50-year-old. So if you have, if you're a, um, a 49-year-old with a bad back, um, you're not as any more, really not a whole lot more hireable or desirable as an employee than a 51-year-old. So if you, if I have a client who's 49 or 49 and a half, and who meets every other element of the grid rule, remember it's got to be a physical impairment, um, and you've got to have a limited education. I'm going to encourage the judge to still use the grid rules to find my client disabled, but I call it using the grid framework. And basically that means we're using essentially the same rules as the grid rules, even if the person's not quite at 50, the theory, the concepts still apply. And so using the grid framework does make the judge's life a little bit easier in that the written decision only needs to address one theory of disability. It doesn't have to go through the whole functional capacity evaluation. Um, and again, if the judge has to use a functional capacity evaluation, they still have to go through um, a lot of detail to explain why they found the person's functional capacity, or when I say functional capacity, I mean capacity to work, um, has been so reduced um, by their medical issues they wouldn't be a reliable employee but it's easier to use the grid rules. Now, again, not every judge is going to use the grid framework, but some do, and it's certainly worth asking. And obviously, if you have a situation where somebody is 49 and a half, then they turn 50 during the time they're waiting for a hearing, we don't want the judge to issue a partially favorable decision because, again, that just takes more time up and it gives the judge more opportunity to, to say, well, maybe this person really isn't disabled. Um, but again, if we have a situation where it looks to me like the grid rules could apply, but the person's 49 and a half, I'll ask the judge to apply the grid framework. If the judge won't do that, I might look at amending the onset date to the 50th birthday because I want a fully favorable decision. That makes everybody's life a lot easier. Partially favorable decisions, um, again, there's just too much that can go wrong. It's a lot more work for the judge, so I prefer a fully favorable decision. Second, even if you don't qualify for the grid rules at age 50 uh, or 50 plus, 55, 60, because you're too educated um, and because your medical history does not uh, um, impact your or your medical issues do not impact your physical capacity um, that the grid rules apply. Maybe they affect your mental capacity. You can still point to your long work history, the economic hardship you're facing by not working to enhance your credibility. So what I'm getting at is that even if this is a case where the grid rules do not apply because your problem is not physical in nature, or may, perhaps your more highly educated than the grid rules require, um, you can still focus on the fact that um, at age uh, 51 or 52, you've got this really long work history. You've 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 really made your um, major mark with your company. You've made a career out of it, um, and. Look, I can think of many, many cases where at a hearing the judge would comment uh, on the record that my client uh, had a long and, and successful work history. Look, judges recognize that if you've been working someplace for 25 years and you're four or five away, years away from retirement, you've got pensions that are vested, you've got health insurance, uh, and you know you're not that employable uh, if you're age 55, let's say, you've got health insurance, maybe you've got long-term disability, other things, um, that you're not going to just quit a job like that. So again, the grid rules don't apply, but the fact that you're um, age 50, you've got a long, successful work history, that means a lot to the judge. Because again, people like that don't just go home and wait for Social Security to make his decision in two years. 
So I think that's something you want to really focus on, um, that if you've got a long work history, even if the grid rules don't apply, but you're, age, you're over age 50 uh, and you've got a mental health problem or you've got some other, uh, you've got a high education that would disqualify you from the grid rules, you can still use the fact that at age 50, you've built yourself a career and that people don't leave careers just for the heck of doing so uh, to wait at home. And that's something that, I, that has actually been uh, something I see that judges will definitely mention on the record. And they've I've had a number of judges make favorable decisions. Really, that seems to be the driving force. That They don't talk about it in the decision necessarily, but in conversation, either during the hearing or after the hearing, they point to that person's long work history. So I think that's something that gives you an advantage if you are over age 50, uh, that you are, uh, you know, you, you're, you're a seasoned worker, you're someone who's not going to quit work just because uh, you feel a little bit of a twinge. There's, there's probably something seriously going on in your case. So those are the first two reasons why I think that people over age 50 have an advantage, even if the grid rules don't apply. I want to talk about when we come back, a third reason, and I also want to talk to you about how lawyers think and what we see when we're talking to people age 50 plus versus people who are younger than age 50. So I'll be right back. Don't know where to begin? Get my free Secrets to Getting Approved Survival Kit. Inside the kit, I discuss such things as how do you know if you have a case? What to do if you're denied? How to avoid common mistakes? And my ever popular how to avoid trick questions from the judge. Subscribing is free and easy. Just visit ssdanswers.com and look for the survival kit for instant access. Remember, time is eroding your position every day. Don't delay, act now. That's ssdanswers.com for your free survival kit. Okay, I am now back and let's talk about the third advantage that you have if you're over age 50, and the grid rules don't apply, but you're applying for disability. And the third advantage really has more to do with economics, the reality of the economics of Social Security disability. If you're age 53, for example, and the judge approves you, the Social Security Disability Trust Fund will be on the hook to pay you for maybe eight more years, 10 more years, 12 more years. But if you're 33, let's say, the trust fund could be on the hook for another 30 years. And Congress has had to bail out the trust fund, and that's the money that is set aside for Social Security Disability, the Social Security Disability Trust Fund. Congress has had to bail out this fund with general revenue money um, before. And they'll continue to do that. Whenever we hear these stories that Social Security Disability is going to run out of money, Congress always comes in and bails it out. But Congress, it's a political issue. They're aware we have an aging population, and they know that the trust fund for disability may need more, more money. And judges are aware of this as well. So there's a lot of pressure in Congress um, on the Social Security Administration to have judges in disability cases only approve deserving claimants, and ideally only approve claimants are going to, be on the, going to put the trust fund on the hook for a limited number of years. Realize that once you hit retirement age, and that may be 66 or 68, uh, 69, depending on when you choose to take it, that's a different fund. So that doesn't drain the disability trust fund, but funds that are coming out of disability, that's, that's when you, that does drain the trust fund. So a judge recognizes his or her responsibility to only award people, only give money to people who are deserving. But also, if you're only going to 
encroach upon the trust fund for five or six years, a lot easier for a judge to give you the benefit of the doubt. Um, and realize some judges see themselves as the stewards of the trust fund. Um, you know, I, I sort of this mental picture of a judge sitting in front of Fort Knox with a, you know, with a gun in one hand and a knife in the other saying, you're not getting our money. Um, and again, that's maybe a little bit ridiculous, but um, I do think that some judges feel that they have a personal responsibility to preserve that trust fund, so they're only going to award cases or claims that they feel are absolutely deserving. Um, so I think it's reasonable to assume that the younger you are, and again, younger being approximately age 50 or less, the stronger evidence you're going to need to win. So you're going to need objective uh, medical tests, extensive medical records, um, unequivocal support from your doctor. And really, I think your testimony, if you're younger than age 50, your testimony just isn't going to mean that, mean that much. It's really going to be evidence-driven. But once you hit age 50, you're going to still need evidence. But in most cases, the judge is going to listen to what you have to say and be more willing to give your testimony the benefit of the doubt. And even subconsciously, I think judges are more likely to give people age 50 more of the benefit of the doubt. Realize most judges are 45 years old or plus. So when they meet somebody, they see somebody in a hearing who's age 50, it's more of a peer-to-peer type of relationship, whether somebody who's 25 or 30 um, to a 53-year-old judge, that 20-year-old looks really, really young. So again, that's just the reality uh, of the situation. But I think judges you know, are more likely to approve people at age 50, again, for economic reasons, just for, um, again, the subconscious reason of, of being able to identify more with a older claimant. Now, this doesn't mean if you're 25 years old and you've got a serious medical condition, you should not apply. Um, but realize that at age 25 or 30, it's going to be harder to win and you're going to need more evidence. So, uh, you know, and in that light, I want to just give you some insight as to what's going on in a lawyer's mind. And again, I'm speaking for myself, but I know speaking to some of my colleagues, I think this is a fairly common approach. Um, If I'm looking at a case for the first time and I'm seeing somebody who's 50 years old, 53 years old, you know, 56 year old or 56 years old, even somebody who's maybe 49 and a half, um, I'm more likely to say I'm going to give that case a shot because the chances of winning are just greater. Um, realize we get paid as attorneys only if we win and we win based on past due benefits. Um, and by the way, contingency fee, which is what that's called, that's not, doesn't mean free. So an attorney who's taking a case on contingency means we're going to wait to get paid, but we do expect to get paid. And I realize that the average case is taking two to three years before as a decision is made and payments are issued. So if I take a case in my office, that means for the next two to three years, I'm going to have to maintain a file. I'm going to have to pay my paralegal to update that file, to talk to my client. I'm going to be talking to my client. This is work. This is what I do for a living. And so if I take a case, there needs to be a reasonable chance I'm going to win. Now, personally, I will take challenging cases at times because I want to see what happens. And that's just to give me a give me the challenge of it. But if I only took cases that were marginal in terms of the person's age and the medical situation, uh, I'm not going to stay in business very long. So if I'm talking to a younger person, a 25-year-old, 30-year-old, I'm going to want to see more evidence and better evidence. So for example, if I'm looking at a bad back case for a 30-year-old, 
I'm going to want to see MRIs that show a herniated disc. I want to see evidence of radiculopathy, which is that nerve pain running down into your legs. I want to see nerve impingement on an MRI or a CT scan. I want to see if that person has had surgery that was not successful or that surgery was recommended or that surgery was deemed uh, not, not, a, not a, that the, the problem was too significant, that surgery was not going to help, but that surgery was at least considered uh, for that 25-year-old. I'm going to want to see if that person is on long-term pain management. I'm going to want to see ongoing medical treatments and no gaps. I'm going to want to see a functional capacity evaluation or more than one functional capacity evaluation from uh, treating doctors. I'm going to look for unsuccessful work attempts to show the person tried to go back to work. Uh, I may look for employment records showing that the person tried to work and and was having more and more trouble uh, maintaining employment, successful employment. So it's going to be a lot more evidence for that younger person. But if the same person comes to me with the same the same medical issues and they're 56, yeah, I'm going to want to see an MRI uh, screen, scan, evidence of that. And I'm going to want to see functional capacity evaluations that, you know, really identify specific work limitations. But, you know, if there's a few gaps in treatment, it's not going to be as big of a deal. Um, I may not want to say want to see failed work attempts because I know that that 56-year-old has a built-in advantage and that judges are more likely to accept that person's testimony when that person says, you know, I didn't look for work because I knew I would not be reliable and the level of pain I've got is so significant that I cannot maintain attention and concentration or do things at an appropriate pace. The judge is going to accept that testimony. But for a 30-year-old, quite frankly, testimony doesn't really mean much of anything. The judge isn't going to really consider testimony. It's all going to be medical record driven. But again, for a 55, 56-year-old, testimony can make a difference. So again, if you think of this as kind of a sliding scale, the younger you are, the stronger the evidence, the more evidence you're going to need. As you get older, you know, judges are still going to want to see evidence, but they will be willing to accept uh, as true your testimony more so than if you were much younger. And I think it's important you need to, to Think about this when you talk to a lawyer, because I talk to plenty of folks who are in their 30s or even 40s, and I can sense from the call they are suffering. They're in terrible pain. They have significant problems. Um, and I want to help them. I believe them. But I just know that if I get in front of a judge and I got a 32-year-old and there's no MRI and the person's saying, you know, I've got a bad back, it's not going to go anywhere. You know, judges, you know, I may have a gut feeling about it, but a judge is not going to decide a case based on gut feeling. Um, They're going to look for evidence, uh, specifically objective evidence if it's possible. They're going to look for medical records. They're not going to go with their gut feel. Um, So again, the younger you are, uh, when you're talking to a lawyer, be aware the lawyer is going to give a lot more scrutiny to your case, not because he or she doesn't want to help you. It's because he or she has to maintain an office and you know you can only take cases where they have a reasonable shot at winning. So I hope this gives you an idea as to why a 50-plus-year-old has an advantage, even if the grid rules don't apply. But if you are younger and you're applying, yes, you can still win. You just need stronger and, and stronger and better evidence, let's say, uh, to, to prevail before a social security disability judge. So hope you found this useful, and I will look forward to talking to you in the next episode. This is Jonathan Ginsburg wishing you the best. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode. Subscribe to this podcast for regular updates at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this podcast useful, then please give me a five-star review because it helps others see the value of my information. Thank you in advance. 
For a 100% free and confidential evaluation of your case, visit ssdanswers.com. That's ssdanswers.com. Don't delay. Act now.